0: Thank you, Jesus. You know, I want to mention that we have a little form here that they use during our healing school for people to give testimonies. And they have some of these in the corner right over here of this stage. And if any of you had a testimony last night about how the Lord touched your life, we would love to hear it. You know, we're getting to where we have enough people that we can't talk to every single one of you personally, but we would really love to hear this. I heard a number of testimonies this morning of people that have already been miraculously healed. Awesome things happen. The guy who is the superintendent that built this building, he also built one of the concourses at DIA. He built the Pepsi Center in DIA. And uh, he just happened to be the guy that God gave us to help build this building. He said, this was the most challenging building he's ever built in his life. I came in one day and he had just figured out how to make all of this work. And he said, this is the happiest day of my life. And I, I said, man, you need to get out more often. It's just a building. Praise God. But anyway, he came to me this morning. He had tears in his eyes and he said, these are the greatest people you have here. He says, man, they've been so nice to me and I don't even know who you are. You probably don't know who he is, but you've just been blessing him. He had tears in his eyes. And I told that testimony about the uh, lady that was healed of arthritis and he has his hands are arthritis and man, it touched him. He just walked off with tears in his eyes. Isn't it great that we're even blessing the people that work around here. You know, we name this place the Sanctuary, and that means a place dedicated to the glory of God. And it it really is that way. I mean, you come on this property, and we start just seeing miracles happen. So I'm really excited. But we would love to get your testimony if you have uh, had something happen to you. So we've got those little pieces of paper down here. We'd love to have you do that. All right, we're ready to hear Arthur Mainches, And Arthur is a blessing. Come on up, Arthur. Arthur is South African, but we love him anyway. (laughs) And we met together at a conference in Huntsville, Alabama, many years ago. How many did we say? Thirteen. Thirteen years ago. And we've been ministering together pretty much ever since. I've been to South Africa with him. And, of course, he's moved here. And he's one of our faculty members here in the school and teaches a lot. And I tell you this, man, we were uh, doing a TV thing yesterday. And... uh, He was a pastor before he got hold of the revelation of grace and was driven nearly to the end of his life. That's right. And, uh, man, this saved his life. It'll save
1: yours if you listen. It's good words. So give him heaven, Arthur. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, let's all stand. Is this on? Let's all stand and just turn to somebody, you know, next to you, in front of you, wherever, and just say, uh, you are blessed with heaven's best. Hallelujah. Are you happy about that? Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Amen. Blessed with heaven's best. That is for me just the greatest because you know what? God didn't just do what he did, uh, you know, by using an angel in the backside of heaven, some storage room where nobody would miss him. He gave us His all. He gave us everything. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Are you ready? Praise God. Let's get into the Word. Go with me to Proverbs 16 and verse 6. Proverbs 16 and verse 6. This is a passage of Scripture uh, years ago um, when I got a hold of the gospel for what it really, really is. And, uh, you know, we talk about, and I, I hear people talk about the grace message, and, and I even talk about that. But you know what? It is just the gospel. That is what it is. It's, uh, it's not a, sp- you know, a specific message. It's just the gospel. It's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And this passage of Scripture, um, uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, really impacted my life. And I'm going to read this out of the Amplified version. And then uh, we're going to just lay a foundation. And hopefully, I can get through all of what I have here. I've got so much to share. And sometimes I'm like Andrew. You know, I just, you don't, you don't uh, finish, you just quit. But um, Proverbs 16.6, the writer of Proverbs, one of the wisest men that ever lived except for Jesus. And he said this, By mercy and love, truth and fidelity to God and man, not by sacrificial offerings, iniquity is purged out of the heart. And by the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, men depart from and avoid evil. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you again for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you demonstrated your love 2,000 years ago on that cross when you sent Jesus to die for us on that cross. And Lord, we just thank you that from that moment on, your love has the ability and the power to impact us, that we will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, one of the greatest privileges that we as believers have is the promise of sharing in the life the the life of God the abundant the Bible talks about the abundant I like to just always use that Greek word the zoe life of God not just one day when we get to heaven not one day when in the by and by when I when I get uh, you know to heaven that I'm going to be a partaker and uh, share in that life but right this very minute right now as a believer We have a share in the life of Almighty God. Now, you know, let's go, I want to just lay a a foundation with a couple of passages of Scripture here. Uh, John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24, and again, I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version. Um, Jesus says, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, the person who whose ears are open to my words who listen to my message and believes and trusts in and clings to and relies on him who sent me has or possesses now eternal life. Hallelujah. Now, you know, I tell you that passage of scripture is very Emphatic that it's not something that we're going to get one day when we get to heaven, but when I am a believer and I trust and put my trust, and boy, you know what Andrew was saying uh, last night when I surrender and give my life, as it were, and say, God, you have me, when that happens, I don't just have access to, but I possess. The very life of God. John 6 and verse 40, Jesus again says, he says, For this is my Father's will and his purpose, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in, cleaves to, and trusts in, and relies on him should have eternal life or eternal Zoe life and then obviously the the scripture that that most of us can quote is john chapter 10 and verse 10 where jesus says the thief comes only in order to steal to kill and to destroy but i came that they might have and the amplified says have and enjoy hallelujah Man, I tell you, this is that, it, it's so important because, you see, I think what we see here is that Jesus says that we can have the zoe life of God, but many, many, many people don't enjoy it. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. That we might have the zoe life of God, and it says, and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Yeah. Now, just uh, a couple of things that I want to say about Uh, the Zoe life of God, because sometimes that has also just become such a cliche, and we just use that so randomly. But, you know, when it says that that they who believe, the believer has a share in the Zoe life of God, what does that mean? What is the Zoe life of God? Firstly, I would say that I don't think that you or myself have the vocabulary to describe the life of God. But I'm going to try my best to describe to you uh, what I feel the Lord has shown me what it means to have a share in the life of God. See, the Zoe life of God is the life that sustains God. It is the life that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has experienced together for all of eternity. And so, you know, many times because of that eternal, it's translated eternal life, we tend to just think about it as something that's going to cause me to live for an eternity. And yes, that's true. But it is a quality of life. The same life that sustains God. God. Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, and the relationship, it, I believe it's got way more to do with, with a relationship than it has to do with how long I'm going to live. You see, a life of, uh, the, well, the Zoe life of God is a life of unconditional love. You know, I, we use that term, unconditional, and, um, and I think to a certain degree we've defined it. But I don't think as human beings we actually even understand what unconditional really means. Unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, oneness. This is the life of God. It's to be one. That's why Jesus said, me and my father, we are one. Transparency, generosity, uh, belonging, and, and, and to be other-centered. Cent, uh, um, the life of God is uh, a life that empowers freedom and strength it is a life that uh, is free from all guilt condemnation shame rejection fear and, and 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 all of the the things that come with that understanding of guilt see The unfortunate thing, though, is is that I notice, and, and, and I don't know if you've noticed this, that there are a lot of people, a lot of believers, men and women of God, who have the very life of God. They possess the life of God because they're believers. Because Jesus said, he who believes, he has, possesses this life. And very few people, though, experience it. Very few people actually start to walk in the experience and partaking in this life. And uh, as Andrew was saying, we were talking about that, uh, you know, on that television program. And, and, and that's one of the things that, that I felt was such a, a, a disappointment as a Christian. Because uh, for so long, living under a legalistic and a, and a works mentality, I just could never experience the life of God. There was all the promises. Turn with me in your Bibles there, and let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And because I really, I uh, spend a lot of time trying to figure out how is it that I can have the very life of God, but struggle to exhibit it, struggle to experience it. And uh, this passage of scripture helped me a lot. And Uh, And again, I wish I I was able to go and and teach the introduction to this and and bring it. But I'm going to go straight here to Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18. And uh, it goes like this. It says, this I say therefore. Now Paul is talking here and he says, uh, 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 and who's he writing to? He's writing to the church at Ephesus. So he's writing to believers. Primarily, his letter here is to believers. And so he is speaking here to believers. Now notice what he says. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened and being alienated. That word alienate means to be estranged or self-banished from the life of God Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness or the hardness or the callousness of their hearts. Now I don't know if you, you caught on what he said here. Here's Paul and he is ministering and he's writing to believers. But this is what he says to the believers. He says, let me encourage you and let me tell you that you should not live a life. Now, I've heard a lot of people who have used this passage of scripture to say that that Paul here is, um, in in fact, uh, encouraging believers not to live a sinful life like the Gentiles. Now, I guess you could extrapolate that out of there, but What he's just saying is this. He says, um, and I'm going to read it there again, the way he says it. He says, I testify in the Lord that you henceforth from this moment on walk not, and when I say walk not, I say don't have a life that exhibits nothing more than that of a non-believer. Are you guys with me here? That's what, what, what he's talking about. He says don't live your life and exhibit and, and have a life that, that is no more than what the worldly person who doesn't have the Lord. Doesn't have a relationship with God. So what he's saying is, and, 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 and this is my interpretation of this. Now I guess people will disagree with me. But I believe what he's saying. He's speaking to believers. And he says, you believers... Don't live your life just like the Gentiles. So it must be possible then for a believer who has the very life of God to live a life that's no better than an unbeliever. Amen. But then he gives us some keys here for me. He gives me some keys to understanding how is it possible for us as believers as men and women of God we are on our way to heaven I'm not saying that you not you're not born again that you're not saved and you're saved and you're going to heaven and if, but this life that you're living right now is not exhibiting you're not experiencing you're not having the life that God has you live under guilt condemnation shame you live with sickness and disease in your body. You live in turmoil. You live in chaos, and so it's like it doesn't seem to do anything. This is what he says. He says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated, estranged, and I like the the, the definition of the Amplified Bible: self banished from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness. Of their hearts. Or the callousness of their hearts. See I believe what Paul is saying here is this. It is possible. As a believer. To possess. The very life of God. But be estranged. Or self banished from it. Because of the condition. Of your heart. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's like Andrew says. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Amen. Amen. It is, it is possible. See, the Bible has a lot to say, and I don't want to spend too much time in this because this is a teaching all by itself, but the Bible has a lot to say about the human, the, the, how we as human beings were created to function, how God made us to function in this life. Now, you know, too many times I think as Christians, we, we want to make Christianity magic. Uh, so, so we don't really want to uh, find out how, how did God put me together and how can I uh, take advantage of the way that God put me together and how am I th- it's supposed to function. Uh, and then what we want to do is we just want to violate all those things, but we want to experience the life of God. And you can't do that. See, according to the writer of Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says that the heart of man the heart of man now i want to make this clear now and again this this some people will disagree with me but so much of what we've taught in church is that the heart and the spirit are the same thing now i don't believe that i believe that there's there's a there's a huge difference the heart of man uh as the bible talks about here is is something other than your spirit. Now, does it include your spirit man? Yes. Does it include your soul? Yes. Does it include your physical? I believe the heart actually is what puts everything and holds everything together. Now, the writer of Proverbs here. Let me give you a couple of verses, just just very briefly. And, and this verse, this first one here, is a verse that absolutely delivered me and brought me to a place where I consistently started to see the life of God manifesting in my life. This is what it says. It says, "Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life." Another translation, the Amplified, says. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all that you guard, for out of it flows the springs of life. The Message Bible says, Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Man, that's powerful. Now, you know, Proverbs uh, 23 and verse 7 says... For as a man thinketh in his heart, or as he thinketh, or as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And that word thinketh is, uh, can also be translated gatekeeper. The way you think, the way you see things, will influence, and it says protect your heart. Protect or guard your heart. Why? For out of the heart come the forces of life. Now, I believe that when the Bible talks about the heart of man, it is talking about that very core, deep down belief system that you deeply believe within your heart. In fact, I would say that it is better known today in the secular world as the subconscious mind. How many of you understand that you have a subconscious mind? Now, it's interesting that when you study, and again, we don't have time to go and study, but if you study the heart of man and look at all of the the attributes that the Bible ascribes to the heart of man, and you uh, find out about the subconscious mind, and you'll see the same attributes are ascribed to, to the subconscious mind. Now, what is interesting about the heart and the subconscious mind is that all of us live 90 to 95% of our lives, we live from the heart. Amen. Praise God. Were they this quiet when you were preaching, brother? They were? Okay. (laughs) Amen. You 95% of the time, you live your heart out of that very deep, down, core beliefs that you hold to that sometimes you don't even necessarily can even verbalize, but because of life and the way you were brought up and what you have been taught, you establish certain core belief systems deep down within your heart. And, you know, just think about this for a minute, that uh, if now I know this works great here in America, and in South Africa it doesn't work that well because we don't we don't really have in our buildings we don't really have a big problem with fires and things like that. But but like here in America, people are are trained. You know, um, if if uh, if a firefighter had to bust through the doors and shout here in this we're all together, and he shouts, "Fire! You're not going to sit there." And think to yourself, now what is fire? What are we supposed to do? <laughs> you know, it's interesting that when you talk to people that have been in situations like that, they will tell you that they got out of the building and then you'll say to them, How did you do it? I don't know. Many people say, I don't even know how I got here. I just know I heard fire, and before I knew it, I'm here. Well, you see, because what happens is so much of our life decisions that we make that which can affect your life we make based upon the deep down beliefs we have here and not necessarily the, the, the conscious knowledge that we have here we make it out of the heart and that's why it says that we need to protect what is in our heart or guard what goes into your heart because out of your heart is going come the force that drives your life now i don't know about you but this is a powerful verse but it's a scary verse you know why i say it's scary this is what it is this is and this is what the lord spoke to me those years ago he said to me arthur the condition of your life today the condition of your Relationships, The condition of your finances, the condition of, you know, your, your marriage, whatever, is a direct result of what you have been believing in the past. Amen. And I tell you what, I looked around and I said, I did not like what I was seeing in my life. And you know what? And that's the scary thing. But you, know, you see, the problem is with many of us as Christians, we, we oh no, that can't be. It's, it's the devil. Well, you know, let me tell you something. The devil, I mean, he has, but he's a defeated foe. He's defeated. I personally, I don't even like to even talk about him. In fact, I just ignore him. Hallelujah. Amen. I just ignore him. I just stand fast in, in the faith and I ignore him. He is, a, he is Captain Zero. But th- here's the thing though. Many of us, what we do is that we, we want to say, we want to blame everybody else. We want to blame our mother-in-law. We want to blame the government. We want to blame, you know, the church. We want to blame the pastor. We want to blame everybody around us. And uh, guess what? Uh, if you blame everybody around you, who's never going to change? Come on now hallelujah you see what he's saying here is this is that if you want to change what you're experiencing in your life you're going to have to change what you believe amen you're going to have to change what you believe because if you don't change well Arthur we've just always believed this way we've just believed this way and this is just the way our family is and this is the, our church believes this way you know can I do a Dr. fill on you how's it working for you I mean, how's it working? You see, I believe that this is exactly what um, uh, 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 iniquity is about. You see, if a man's belief system, his default belief system, deep down in his heart, is not set correctly, he won't function correctly. And if he doesn't function correctly, he won't produce the, the desired results in his life. I believe that this, that I'm talking about here, is what the Bible calls iniquity. Iniquity. And the reason I would say that, and again, I don't have a lot of time to get, I'm still not even where I want to be in this message. I'm laying a foundation here. Amen? So, <laughs> that's a problem with us teachers, you know. Um, you know, uh, Proverbs, that Proverbs 16 verse says, by mercy and love, truth and fidelity, iniquity is purged out of the heart. Now, what is the word iniquity? Um, If you look in the Hebrew language, the word iniquity uh, can be translated perversity, uh, a fault, or to to be faulty. Uh, The Greek word for iniquity uh, is to be illegal, to be illegal or illegality. But, you know, Thayer says this about the word iniquity. See, many times, or for a long time in my life, uh, I've always just uh, took uh, sin, disobedience, rebellion, iniquity, and kind of put it all under the, this heading of sin. Now, I guess we can. We can do that. But iniquity is not talking about the deeds of unrighteousness that you do. Iniquity, if you study it, and this is what Thayer says. Thayer says that iniquity is the condition... Of without truth. So he's saying iniquity is more of the condition. Now it's interesting. I know that if you know anything about the Bible, you'll see that iniquity often in the Bible is linked with the heart. It talks about iniquity in their hearts. And there was iniquity, you know, found in them. And the iniquity of their hearts led them. So it's talking about the heart condition is an iniquitous condition. Now, uh, the best way for me to describe this is not to define it, but to describe it to you. Now, how many of you have ever been in debt? Let me see. Hallelujah, amen. It was slow, but it had got there. Hallelujah. Being in in indebtedness. Now, this is by no means a definition of iniquity, but I believe that if I can explain what indebtedness does to us, then I can, uh, you know, as a parallel, bring that over and show you. Um, Let me, uh, or or imagine with me here this morning, Just, uh, and, and God forbid that this would ever be true in your life, Uh, just imagine with me that you are indebted for multi-millions upon millions of dollars that you're indebted to, that your name is linked with. All right, I just want to hang that a little. Okay, now I want to add something with it. Can I add something with it? You have no means to pay it. Nothing. Can you imagine yourself there? Some people say, some of you guys say, no, I don't even want to go there. But just, just for the, the practice, okay? Uh, okay, can I add another thing to it? This is what I want to add to it. The person that you are indebted to, the, the one who, who lent you the money, is somebody that you have to face in a relationship every day of your life. So I can see some of you going, oh. <laughs> you know, now, let me explain to you what's going to happen in that relationship. Most probably what's going to happen in that relationship is that your indebtedness will cause you or your debt will cause in you an indebtedness. And that indebtedness will start to influence the way you look at your life in totality. That means you will start to view everything in your life through your indebtedness. And the indebtedness will start to actually dominate the way you think and believe give you an example that means that if you have to, you have to be in relationship and meet or, or, or be in contact with the person that you're uh, indebted to, I will tell you now that the indebtedness of your life will cause you to devise a way that you will minimize that contact come on now to the bare minimum Amen. You'll avoid them. You'll do everything. In. And, and let's say that uh, today when you came in here, the person that you were indebted to was standing in the front here talking to Andrew. And uh, as you walked into the back of the hall there, they both looked up and saw you come in and then they kept on talking. I can tell you what indebtedness is going to tell you. <laughs> indebtedness is going to tell you, they are talking about me. Are you guys with me here? And so what, what, what happens now, equally, this is very similar to what uh, iniquity does to us. Iniquity is the spiritual, mental, and emotional condition that sin and unbelief leaves you in. Come on. Indebtedness is the emotional and spiritual condition, that, that sin, and I'm not talking about your particular ugly sin, I'm just talking about what sin has done in this world, has influenced the way we think, it's influenced the way we see things, it's uh, as Andrew was saying last night, it, is, uh, it has given us a definition of success that's not really success, Amen. And so what happens is iniquity becomes the condition of your heart. You know, uh, there's another passage of scripture uh, uh, that says uh, that all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God, Romans three and verse 20, uh, 23. Uh, you know, it, it all have sinned and fallen short of that glory of the glory of God. The word, the word glory, doxa, which is the view and the opinion, the estimate, the way that God sees things. That's what sin has done to us, and that's uh, called iniquity. Another passage of Scripture that I love to go to is that one in Proverbs seventeen and verse twenty. Which says, a man with a forward heart findeth no good. You see, uh, iniquity is, a, is, is the heart that has been bent. It's the heart, the belief system that has been skewed. And so what happens is, is that we can't see things for what they really are. We, we tend to look at God and we see God through our iniquity and we interpret Him. You know, the day that Adam and Eve ate of that the tree of the knowledge of good evil, iniquity entered into their hearts. The first thing they started doing is judging God. Come on. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But go, go with me there. Proverbs, uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. How am I doing for time? Do I go to the top of the hour? Oh, hallelujah. I've got lots of time then. Praise God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 uh, uh, in, in the, the King James says, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. See, you might be here today and say, Oh my gosh, uh, how has iniquity influenced my heart? How has how this, uh, you know. Uh, Influenced my relationship And the, th- the way I see things Well here's what I want to bring you to Even though all of this is true All of all the fact that sin Through sin iniquity has entered And there's not a one of us That's not been tainted by it We all have Amen Hallelujah Well again thank you for that thunderous Amen But <laughs> But he says yeah But where sin abounded Grace did much more abound. I like what the Amplified says. The Amplified puts it this way. He says, but where sin increased and abounded, grace, God's unmerited favor has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded." abounded. Amen. The, the J.B. Phillips translation, and I like what the J.B. Phillips says, he says, yet though sin is shown to be wide and deep. You know, Yet, though sin has influenced us, and iniquity, all of us have been tainted by this iniquitous, this crookedness of our hearts, our belief systems. Maybe you're here today and you say to me, man, Arthur, if it is true that, that the, the condition of my life is directly related or directly uh, connected with what I've been believing in the past, then boy, I tell you what, I've, I've had some stinking thinking. I've been, you know, now listen to what he says here. He says, though sin... Let me put it this way, sin and the effect of sin, the effect of sin of iniquity, even though it is shown to be wide and deep. Maybe you're looking and saying, well, this is wide and deep in my life. Thank God, His grace is wider and deeper still. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> then He says this, the whole outlook changes hallelujah the whole outlook changes man i want you to see that today when i'm done here i want you to see that your whole outlook can change why because he says sin used to be the master of men and in the end handed them over to death but now grace is the ruling factor hallelujah oh hallelujah man i tell you i'm getting happy here <laughs> but Grace becomes the ruling factor. You know what Paul, I believe Paul is saying here is this. The power of sin and iniquity to destroy your life is not greater than the power of God's grace to restore your life. Hallelujah. Amen. See, therefore, brothers, let me say this. Even, even uh, in the midst of your biggest failures, in, the, in the, the, the times of your biggest and, and baddest weaknesses, uh, your faults, as a believer, the grace of God is more powerful to deliver you, to restore you, to bring your life to the purpose of God than sin and iniquity is to sabotage and to destroy your life. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now let's go back to that verse that we, we started off with, with in Proverbs 16.6. Because this is the power. You me, Arthur, how, how do I, what is the power of this? This is it. You know, uh, Andrew was talking about it last night. It's about coming to that place where you fully surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, my life is now your life. And I am now going to revel in you and in your life. You listen, he says... Uh, by mercy and love, truth and fidelity. Now, for years, I used to read it, and because I had a works mentality glasses on, I, I looked at it this way. If I could be merciful, if I could be loving, if I can be truthful in everything I do, and if I can be, have f- the, the fidelity is the word faithfulness. If I can be faithful, then I can take care of the iniquity in my heart. No, 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 no. I believe what this is saying is that if you will come and totally surrender, listen to me tonight, today, if you will totally surrender to the place we say, Lord, my life is your life, and, I, and, 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 and your life is my life, and therefore now I totally come and surrender to the immeasurable mercy that you have towards me. I now surrender. No matter what's happened in my past, what's going on, I surrender to your unconditional love, the indisputable truth of your goodness, and the unending faithfulness. Then what happens is the power of grace awakens within you and starts to deliver you from the iniquity that's in your heart. It starts to change everything that you start to see. When you start to do that and surrender, all of a sudden your life starts to look different. Hallelujah. Amen. No matter where you've been, no matter what you have done, no matter what uh, is going on in your life, you are not outside of the reach. This, you might be here today. Listen, you might be here and you might be coming and saying, man, this is my last resort. I don't know, man. God's got to do something. You are not outside of the reach of God's grace here this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> you know, one of the most damaging aspects, and this is really the message I wanted to preach right here. Amen. One of the most damaging aspects of iniquity is what we believe about our past. One of the most damaging things that we can hold on to is to hold on to our past. You see, if we as believers are going to experience and enjoy the Zoe life of God, one of the things we're going to have to do is to let go of your past. To let go of What's happened in the past? Many people and believers are unable to enjoy life. They suffer with tremendous emotional pain, uh, torment, dysfunction, stress because of the hurts of the offenses, the disappointments of the past. In fact, one of the one of the greatest sources of offense in our lives is the failures and the mistakes the sins and the indiscretions the weaknesses of our past it's not always the 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 things that other people have done to us actually i think the thing that can hurt us the most is when we become offended at us when you become offended with you amen are you with me here I like what uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I have... Uh, already achieved these things. You know, this is where Paul was coming. He says, I, I want to know Christ and Him crucified. You know, I want to be found in Him, you know, and not having my own righteousness, but that I might be made righteous by the faith of Jesus Christ. And he says, not that I've attained these things, not that I've come and I'm, uh, that I'm already perfect, he says, but I keep working towards that day or uh, when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me and wants me to be he says no dear brothers and sisters I am still not all I should be amen but I focus all of my energies on this one thing forgetting the past and looking forward to that which lies ahead you know, you, you might be here, and you're you, you looking at your life, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, uh, man, if, if, if my life and the condition of my life is because of what I am believed in the past, and, and and how am I going to change all of that, and how's that going to happen? Well, you know, we're going to look at, one of the first things you're going to have to do is to realize that in Uh, uh, surrendering to God and letting Him be merciful and loving and good and faithful to you even though you've been unfaithful oh come on now I tell you what, this is so, because sometimes it's like, well, you know, if I'm faithful, then I can get God. No, you do surrender to God. And as Andrew says, run up that white flag and surrender to God is to be able to surrender to Him. But when you do, you surrender to God's mercy and you surrender to His love for you that's unconditional and His faithfulness and that He's going to be faithful to you whether you've been faithful or not. Now I think sometimes that is a hard thing for us Especially if you've got your heart established in a, in a works mentality It's like, oh no, that can never happen No, listen carefully You see, one of the uh, things that I always say to people It's one thing to be alive But it's another thing to have a life that's worth living See, a lot of people, they're alive and they're successful it's, As Andrew was saying, successful in business, whatever But it's, their life is not worth living and I tell you what, when we don't let go of the past, our life doesn't, is not worth living. See, letting go of the past. You say, oh yeah, i got to let go of all of the offenses and things that people have done to me. No, listen. Letting go of the past is not just letting go of what others have done to you. Letting go of the past is letting go of what you've done, listen carefully, negatively or Positively. Oh, you see, but what, what we do is we want to let go of the past, of our failures of the past. But there's a lot of people that hold on to the, quote, on successes of their past. They are as much living in the... Have you ever been around people? And they will you talk about what's happening today and, you know, what's happening in the church and, and stuff is happening. You tell them about what's happening here with Andrew and immediately they'll say this. Yes, but in 1983, you, I can tell you now. That person is still living in 1983. Why? Because they've not ever learned to let go of the past. Listen. If you allow your past, positive or negative, to define you, then you will never be able to be and experience who God has made you to be. If you will not learn to let your past die... Your past won't let you live the future. Amen. Boy, there's so much more I want to share here with you, but let me just go directly and and, and kind of wrap this up because I think we're coming to that place where we can just wrap this up here. You know, uh, I love what the Scripture teaches us, and Jesus taught a wonderful principle. And He taught a principle in... uh, uh, the, uh, the passage has just slipped my mind right now but um, in Matthew 16 actually Andrew was talking about it last night and I believe the principle Jesus teaches us there is a principle of saying listen if you want to be my disciple you're going to have to change the way you think and the way you see things and the way you believe Now, you know, there's a a lot that we can learn out of that passage of Scripture. There's a lot that we can extrapolate out of that uh, passage of Scripture. But for me here today is where Jesus says, he says to his disciples, he says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Now, what we've done with that, and please understand, I'm not saying that people uh, who follow, or let's put it this way, if you follow Christ, that there are not certain sacrifices that you're going to have to make. I I totally understand that. And I totally believe that there are some things that you're going to have to let go. But I believe that Jesus here is talking about He says, now, if you want to be my disciple. See, Jesus wasn't the only one who ever had disciples. The people understood what discipling was and what disciples were. So, but Jesus is coming, he says, now, I, I want you to understand... That if you're going to be my disciple, and he's talking to Peter, because Peter was the one who said, no, Jesus, don't, you know, you don't go away, don't, do the, don't change things. I mean, and Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. And it's interesting that yourself is self-life. I want to bring it this way. Jesus is actually also saying to them right there, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny that you are able to do what it takes to be a disciple. You said to me, how do, you, how do you extrapolate that? How do you get that from that passage of Scripture? Well, what I get from is, he says, let him deny himself. And then he says, take up his cross and follow me. So what we've done, and many people done, it's like, oh, what is my cross to bear? No, do you understand that your cross is Christ's cross? Amen. And Christ's cross is your cross? Yeah. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 says that if one man died for all, then all be dead. We died with him on the cross. Paul says, and he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And I think that what, Paul, what Jesus is saying here, he says, he says, if you want to be my disciple, then he says, you need to deny that you can do what it takes, but you need to come and take up the cross. I would go and say, take up the work of the cross and come follow me. Because then he says, he said to me, well, how do you do Then he says, for what shall a man, uh, I, I better just turn to that passage of scripture. <laughs> Is that okay with you? Yeah. I don't want to run out of time here. The very next verse, he says, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. He's saying, if you will do what you think is necessary to save your life, you're going to find out at the end of the day, you lose your life. Now, it's interesting, your life is your very life. And then the next thing he says here in this passage, and he says, uh, Or what shall a man give, sorry, Uh, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. So if you think that you can do what it takes to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will save it. Then he says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give, what can I give to God in exchange for my soul? Now, what I've always done is I've always taught on and preached that passage of Scripture up to that point. And uh, years ago, the Lord said to me, don't stop there. Because Jesus didn't stop there. Okay? Now watch this. The very next verse, verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father. Now, this is in the, in the King James. Now, some of the other translations, what has happened here, even in the King James here, the translators did not want to commit. I'll show you here. He says, for the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. So, Jesus here is talking about himself. Now, a lot of people have gone and said, well, Jesus is talking about his second coming. It can't be. And I'll show you in a moment. Jesus is talking there and he says to them, you can't save your own life. You can't do what it takes to save your own life. Even if you gain the whole world, even if, you, even if you're the best law keeper in the world, you can't save your own life. You can't give in exchange. He says, for the son of man has come in the glory of his father. Do you know in the King James there, it's not capitalized. Did you see that? Do you have the King James behind us here? Do you see there's no, there's no capital for the, for the His? Amen. Is this a little deep for you? Okay, listen, listen carefully here. For the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? I'm going to go over this over and over and over. The Son of Man is whom? Jesus. Jesus is talking about Himself. And He says, for the Son of Man shall come. When did He come? In His incarnation. Amen. When He was born on this earth. When He came. That's what He's referring to here. Not His second coming. He said, he shall come in the glory of his father. What happened on the day when he was was born? The the, the shepherds in the field, the glory of God shone around about them. And it says, and and in the presence of his angels, do you realize that in the King James, those those his, the personal pronouns are not capitalized. Now, some of the newer translations have actually capitalized them. But what they do is the very next one is the next part of this listen to what he says. Hmm. And he says and he shall reward every man according to his work. Jesus comes and he says, When the Son of Man shall come, you can't do anything to be rewarded with life. But the Son of Man shall come, he shall come in the glory of his Father, in the presence of his angels, and he will reward every man according to his work. You said, Man, how do you know? See, I come on now. He said to me, well hang on, what's this got to do with my past? That means you have a new past. Hallelujah. You have a new past. What happens? Jesus comes, he's the son of man. He said to me, but Arthur, this is talking about the second coming. Okay, well if that's the second coming, let's read the next verse. Verily I say unto you, uh, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they shall see the son of man come in his kingdom. So if he was talking about his second coming here, Come on. Then there should be people alive today that were there with him when he was crucified. Come on now. So all four of these things. Now here's what I want to see. Jesus does the work, brothers. He does the work. He said to me, Arthur, my past. That's why you gotta let go of your past. Why? Because Jesus does the work. Hallelujah! you get the reward when you trust in him you are rewarded with the work that he has done and the rewards of his work is yours hallelujah and god gets the glory he does the work you get the reward god gets the glory hallelujah What happens here? I love that passage of scripture. You know, it says, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. I like the Amplified says, for if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. God was in Christ personally reconciling the world unto Himself, not counting their sin against them, and has commissioned us with this message of reconciliation. See, listen, the message of reconciliation to all of us in this room today is, you can let go of your past. Your past does not have to define you any longer. Why? Because in God, what's that scripture say in Galatians 3, 3? It says, for you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ Amen. in God. Amen. What does that mean? It means you have a past. Yes. And as far as God's concerned, it is the perfect past and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. He looks at your life. He says, me, Arthur, but you don't know where. No, you don't know what Jesus has done. Amen. Hallelujah letting go of your... Are you, le- are you ready to let go of your past, good or evil? Hallelujah. Thank you. There's two of us that are going to do that. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's stand together. Amen. Has this helped you a little bit? Amen. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today and you say, look, Arthur, I, I, want to, I want to let go of my past. No longer will my past define me. No longer will my past be the, uh, the determining factor of where my future goes. Because now I am rewarded according to the work of Jesus. His past is now accounted to my life. Boy, I tell you something, when you start to renew your mind to that reality, praise God. Everything in your future looks brighter. Hope, confident expectation. Why? Because He did a perfect... He's the only one who has a perfect past. And He's made it yours. But you're going to have to surrender. You're going to have to say, God... I'm not. I'm not going to hang on to my past. Is that? How many of you want to do that? Let's just do this together. Man, our hands are up everywhere because I tell you what, you do that and make that happen today. Yeah, you're going to have to make corrections as you go along. But if you say that today and you come to that place, make that decision from this moment forward, your life is never going to look the same again. Hallelujah. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I come to, you. I, come to you. I you. I thank you that Jesus did the work. I am rewarded. I am rewarded. Therefore, I Therefore, I give you glory. I honor you, Lord. I honor you. Today, Today, I let, I let my past, 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 be past be in the past. I let it go, let it go. Good, and good and bad. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My past my is, brand new. It is brand new in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God.